0: Welcome to Indoctrination, a weekly conversation series about protecting yourself from systems of control. I'm your host, Rachel Bernstein. Hi, everyone. Today on the show, we're going to be talking about the group Heaven's Gate.
1: What? And, uh, this is regarding a
0: master. It's an organization that had existed in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, and I remember hearing about it actually at the time that there had been their suicide. They had all ingested something that was going to help them shed their earthly bodies and go to the heavens or what they believed was an extraterrestrial state where they didn't need their bodies. This happened, the mass suicide, in March of 1997. 18 men and 21 women did what is being called a ritual suicide. One of the leaders who we'll talk about, Bonnie Nettles, had already passed away, so she was not there in March of 1997. I talk about this group, Heaven's Gate, quite a bit in the work that I do because it taps into many issues that are important to understand and that also got illuminated because of what happened and because of this kind of group. But I want to say first that sometimes people will ask me what kind of person starts a cult. And what are cult leaders like? And I know, by and large, most of them are these pathological, malignant, narcissistic, or sociopathic manipulators. And they have learned sometimes from each other, learned from the best, so to speak. And they can be very dangerous and can take over people's lives and can destroy people's lives. And then there is the other kind where they start out kind of innocently and then they mm, kind of morph over time when they see that people listen to everything they say. For some people, that would make them uncomfortable to know that someone listened to everything they said. In fact, if I knew that someone listened to everything I said or everything I told them to do, I would probably stop what I'm doing or encourage that person to not listen to everything I have to say and everything I'm telling them to do. But some people enjoy it way too much and it kind of creates more of a monster in them. And we've seen those kinds of transformations with certain cult leaders. And then there is this third kind, even though this is an oversimplification, I realize because I'm sure there are other kinds of permutations, but this third kind where I think that the people who run cultic groups have a certain delusional thinking, and they bring people in to their delusional thinking, either because those people were already prone to it or because they're just very convincing in their message. There is a diagnosis called folia de, which means shared psychosis or shared psychotic disorder. And so it doesn't mean, though, that the person who is doing that, the person who is bringing people into a kind of delusion, is any less dangerous, potentially, than the ones who are these masterminds and puppet masters. Because things like this can happen. So it's still good to watch out. It's still good to track groups Even if the leader is kind of discounted as being crazy and out there, sometimes it can lead to death. So Heaven's Gate was founded in 1974 by Bonnie Nettles, a nurse, a woman who connected with a man named Marshall Applewhite. Marshall Applewhite was a former music teacher. Many say that Marshall was actually a follower of Bonnie's at first. And then the two of them started going around the country speaking and drawing people into their belief that they were extraterrestrial beings who are here to help people to go back, to go back to an extraterrestrial state and join or rejoin their people in space. There were many members over the years, but those it seems most devoted at the end had moved together to join in the message and to join in this life and in this lifestyle. And we're living in a home together in San Diego, California. And if you see photos of them, you'll see that they all cut their hair into a very short, androgynous style. They started wearing very similar clothing, kind of button down men's shirts buttoned actually all the way up to the top the men also endured castrations so that they wouldn't be connected to their body or their body's urges in any way and many by that point had been members really for a couple decades and within that amount of time too had been cut off from their families and friends for about the same amount of time and Had also gotten rid of all of their possessions and connections, ties to their past or to the world around them. Many of them had been looking for a place to fit in, hadn't thought that this world had a place for them. And this group gave them an opportunity to feel mm, similar, to feel understood, to feel that they had. Kind of an ultimate purpose, an ultimate goal, an ultimate and similar path. Marshall Applewhite was among those who committed suicide in March of 97. Also among those was Thomas Nichols, the brother of Nichelle Nichols, who played Lieutenant Uhura in the original Star Trek series. And I know that the death of her brother weighed very heavily, very heavily on her and was also mm, kind of an ironic story as she had been on a show where she was on a spaceship and he believed he was going to one. So Marshall Applewhite, kind of on his own, had continued the teachings that were created between himself and Bonnie Nettles. And the teachings included the following, that evil aliens called Luciferians were going to be taking over the world, and that the comet that was going around the atmosphere at the time in 1997, called the Hale-Bob Comet, was a sign. They believed or at least they taught, or Marshall Applewhite taught, that as soon as the hale comet came into view, that the spaceship that was going to take them away to their heavenly place was going to be flying just behind the comet. This comet was heralding this incredibly powerful pivotal moment in the lives of these people because this was their chance this was their chance to move on to another existence the spaceship that was coming at least they thought was going to take them to what they called the kingdom of heaven where they would shed their bodies otherwise known by them as their Earthly containers. And it was also said that this spaceship would only take the true believers. So they needed to prove that they were true believers. The reason that it's important to talk about this, even though it happened many years ago, is that it touches on so many important issues that people who care about indoctrination and care about. Manipulation and care about people's lives being taken over by an idea, by a false idea, from my perspective. Well, we learn so much. And we learn so much here that I want to be able to enumerate. One is, first of all, and unfortunately, this is a timely message. Right now, there are many people talking about end of the world prophecies, conspiracies kind of paranoid thinking that there are evil people among us who are doing terrible things or have the potential to do terrible things, or the storm is coming, the great awakening, and we have to band together, and we have to protect ourselves, and we might have to do something that is transformative, that takes us away from our lives on earth, so that We can show that we are kind of devoted enough, honorable enough to receive the gifts of whatever it is we've been promised. But these gifts are things that are invisible. And so, from the outside looking in, you can say, why would somebody get to the point and how could someone get to the point of going into this kind of life, even going through castration, in order to make themselves worthy and capable and able to go to this next level of being when nothing has been proven, when the spaceship is not visible to anyone. And so I want to be able to talk about the spaceship not being visible to anyone and what happened there, because you think that would be enough. There's this idea that we talk about called confirmation bias where we see what we want to see and we don't see what we don't want to see. We all do it. And cults capitalize on it. It's true, as I've talked about on the show, that they've done studies about people who have had different philosophies or different kind of mm, political views. And they'll give each person an article to read, the same article with certain studies, certain ideas. And when they ask the people to talk about what the article was about, it can very often happen that the people who have one particular viewpoint will say, that article really highlighted that viewpoint. And the other people who have the absolute opposing viewpoint will say, oh, that article highlighted my viewpoint. And so, again, it's a perfect example of confirmation bias. We see what we want to see. And these people who had given up so much needed, needed to see something that wasn't there. There is a quote by Dr. Margaret Singer that I've also quoted on this show before. And I heard her speaking at a conference. She's now no longer with us, but she was speaking at a cult conference years ago. She was a professor at UC Berkeley, and she had studied programming, deprogramming, manipulation and she said that when you are in a system of control you learn basically you're taught to deny the evidence of your senses and there is a perfect story that goes along with this that's connected to heaven's gate so a few months before the suicides the members and Marshall Applewhite, too, who was a believer, wanted to see what the spaceship looked like. Of course, you want to see where you're going to be going to and how big it is and what it's made of and where you're going to be living, potentially, forever. So they went to a telescope shop in San Diego and bought a telescope that was... $3,600, that is a lot of money at any time, but it's certainly a lot of money in 1997. It was one of the most expensive telescopes in the store. And Marshall Applewhite came with one of the members, and it's one of the members who bought the telescope. Which also doesn't surprise me because usually the leaders of these groups are not the ones who pay for anything having to do with the group. But that's as an aside. The more important part of the story is this they brought the telescope that was brand new, very high tech, back to their home in San Diego where all the members were. They set it up following the directions exactly and positioned it to look at the comet. And they were changing the focus because they couldn't see anything. They couldn't find anything flying behind the comet. So they tried it another time and tried it another time, thinking maybe the tail that lights up was obscuring their view. Mm. So they tried at different times of day and different times of night, different types of weather. And they just couldn't see the spaceship. Now, for us, we would think it's because it's not there. But think about confirmation bias. So they went back to the telescope shop, packed it all up carefully because it was also high-tech and brand new, brought it back to the store. And the person who worked at the store said this had never happened to him before. They came in and they said they wanted a refund because the telescope wasn't working. The telescope wasn't working. That comes from a true believer. And so just like now, what we're dealing with socially and with politics, no amount of evidence, tangible evidence, is enough to convince certain people of certain things. And then we learn a lot about language. When we deal with groups like Heaven's Gate and also other groups that we talk about, the use of language is incredibly influential. The words we use to define things trigger certain emotions in us or trigger a lack of emotion in us. For example, I don't like heights. So if someone told me there's a wonderful view right off the edge of a certain cliff, I'll take their word for it. I will think, hmm, okay, I don't know if any view is worth dying for. So other people would go towards the edge of the cliff and say how beautiful it is, how wonderful, and how much fun it was to have that moment of fear. So for certain people in their heads, they think this is fun and this is an opportunity. And for me, I think I'm going to die. So I'm going to have an anxious response. I'm going to have my heart racing. I'm going to be sweating. I'm going to be having racing thoughts as well. And my language, which is the, "Mm, if I get close to that, I'm not going to make it, is affecting how my body is responding. To that idea. But if certain people love kind of the adrenaline rush, they're going to love that moment and it's going to be exciting and they're not going to have panic. They're going to feel good. They're going to feel excited. They're actually going to feel calmed by the beauty and the awe of the moment. Same here. If you have a chance on YouTube, there is a video. It's a long one, but it is the exit statements of the people in Heaven's Gate before they committed suicide. They did a video to show to the public about who they were and what they were thinking and also to kind of help the public interpret what they had been thinking about doing and what they were about to do and not discount them as crazy people and not criticize them for this. It was a way of helping the public understand.
2: Now the time has come for us to leave this world and to return to the level of human as new beginners. I prepared a little statement for any in the world who might be interested in why I'm ready to go to the next level.
0: What I noticed, though, is that most of them, if not all, had this very serene smile on their face. Sometimes they were teary, but it wasn't tears of nervousness or mm, panic or feeling stuck. It was tears of elation, of relief, of appreciation.
2: My thoughts in these last hours are only of joy and wonder. At the thought of going home to my older members, And being in T's house at rest.
0: And I think part of the reason is that none of them talked about dying. None of them talked about killing themselves. None of them talked about suicide. There were a lot of other words they used. And so I think physiologically, there were a lot of other reactions they had. If someone had come in and said, actually, what you're going to be doing is you're going to be killing yourselves. And there is no mothership. There is no spaceship. Someone might have had a different reaction to it. Might have. So when you look at this video, and I remember seeing it years ago, and I watched it again in prep for doing this recording for you, you hear a lot of the members talking about a lot of things. So I want to take some, some of the quotes from the video and share them with you, the ones that I think are really powerful. There is a person, a member, who was talking about how she had gotten rid of all of her attachments, and that attachments to mothers and fathers and children were things that actually her vehicle, her body, found God in the way of her being able to have a further enlightened state and that it was important for her to realize that these people were threatening her. They were threatening to interfere with what she called an eternity of service with the Creator.
2: The attachments that each of these vehicles had were very real. For each of us, there were things that we cared about, there were individuals that, we, that the vehicle respected and loved and cared for very much and in making the decision that we made to do this we know that we broke hearts we know that we hurt people and we don't take that lightly it, it, we didn't want to hurt anyone unfortunately it's the individuals that these vehicles cared for the most that are actually the greatest threat to us we had to be very aware that influences would take our vulnerabilities those things that we cared about, and use them against us. They would take the programming in the vehicle. And if they could, they would make us look backwards and forget where we were
0: going. And so when people in cultic groups say they've come to realize something, they usually don't come to realize it. They're usually taught it. But they believe they've come to realize it on their own. So there was justification for separation from the rest of the world. And someone else talked about how the mind that has inhabited this vehicle, again, this person's body, doesn't want to be in such a corrupt and hideous and polluted space, and that people accept this idea that they should be in this corrupt, hideous, and polluted place, meaning the world, out of ignorance. So the people who don't believe what they believe are ignorant. Also, very much the rhetoric that we hear today. And the reason that they're ignorant is because they, not the cult members, but they, the people outside, have been programmed.
2: I am inhabiting the vehicle, and I'm really glad that I'm going to be losing this vehicle, shedding it of my own volition, because I'm really tired of this world and what it has become. Um, I feel no bitterness. I feel extreme gratitude and um, thankfulness to my older members,
0: T and Doe. Someone else was smiling and crying, saying, I'm so glad I'll be shedding this vehicle. And that T and Doe, the nicknames of Bonnie and Marshall, were so incredibly patient with so many people there, so patient, so understanding with all of the struggling that took place to help people get to this point. I wanna talk about that too. That was talked about over and over again, that people appreciated the patience of the leaders and the understanding of the leaders.
2: After meeting T. and Do the first time, I instinctively knew who they were and where they came from. Their consistent caring and conduct was evidence to me that they were from a world I wanted to be a part of.
0: When someone is put in a situation that really is untenable, that they have to kind of dislodge their minds, their mm, bodily urges, they have to disconnect from everything that kind of makes them human from their drives, from their emotions, and disconnect from the world outside. There is no way for that to be easy for most people, if not everyone. But what they're not noticing or thinking about, even in this video, is how the group itself put them in that situation where they had to struggle against themselves. But instead, they're grateful to the leader for helping them through those moments, even though they were created by the group.
2: First of all, I consider myself extremely fortunate to have been chosen for this class and to have been in the keeping and care of two older members for the, from the next level for the past 22 years.
0: It very often happens, and I've used this example before, that a cult will very often kind of knock you down to the ground. And you don't realize they're the ones that knocked you down. But when they reach their hand down to you, all you see is this vision of a hand reaching down to you to help you up. And then you see them as your savior, as your rescuer. Someone else talked about how The only suffering in the world is people accepting the fact that they are programmed and people accepting that they have misinformation. So, again, the people in the cult are the ones who have pure interpretation, who are not programmed. And someone else said, This is not a fantasy, it is real. In fact, it's the only thing that's real. When I, years ago, went to go visit a particular cultic group, because sometimes when people tell me about a particular group and it's kind of nearby, I go to check it out, because why not? I want to be able to speak from experience and be able to say, oh, I saw that too, or I didn't see that. But I remember being told when I sat down in this intro class for a particular mystical group that everything that my senses brought in was not real and that I couldn't trust it, and the only thing that was real was what they were going to show me, which of course was invisible, but I was going to be relying on them to show me what was real. Same thing here. And then this person went on to say, we are going to a world that doesn't exist in the same way. That there's nothing here for me. And we're going home. There's no other answers
2: here. There's no human here that can give you anything. It's no. They, they cannot give you anything. These humans here do not know how to get to the next level. They need a representative. They need someone to lead
0: them out of here. And another person said, because I think this was part of a reason to get people or a way to get people to feel motivated to go through this. People who were good people who wanted to make a difference. This was talked about a lot too. They said into the camera, to whoever was going to be watching this, we're doing this for you. We're doing this to be in service to you. T and Doe, again, nickname of the leaders, are not from this world. They came here to guide us, to teach us what's real. Another reference to it being real.
2: The information that they brought us about the next level and their ways and conduct were not human ways. And it became more clearly evident the more I was with them that I wanted to become like them.
0: But I could see if someone is having a question about being involved in this and they don't know if it's worth it and they don't know if it's right that if someone knows that they are people who like to be in service, that then they can be told that if they go to the mothership, that some way, somehow, by being there, they're going to be able to do something that's pivotal, that's going to help the people back on earth. And that would be the thing that would get them. Someone else said, we're on a deck, right now. We're on a deck, And we need to take off the vehicle again, our bodies, in order to release ourselves to go to reality.
2: They're all there is. I and mean, this place is just like a hologram. It's a training ground for individuals that come from the next level to inherit another vehicle a more refined vehicle and that's what my task is that they came here to the city's place to do
0: that. Smiling, crying, right? Not saying we're going to be killing ourselves and we're going to be going home to the beings that sent us here to do this task. So of course, with confirmation bias, if you don't believe, you would say, How would they know? How would they know being sent them there? But they believe that being sent them there. I don't know what proof was given, or if it was just that in order to be able to be worthy enough to go up to the mothership, you just have to believe that. And then other people said, Min neutering. Interesting word for the castration. My neutering has been so beneficial to me. I am no longer attacked by influences.
1: Some students had chosen had proven to him that they desired to have their vehicles neutered. And I'm one of those students that did that. And I can't tell you how free that has made me feel. And I'm just so thankful for that opportunity. And in all reality, I can't see that this next step that I'm prepared to take and, and looking forward to taking is anything more than a clinical operation. And having seen the benefit that the, the neutering has had for my consciousness, for my ability to grow and be closer to my older member, that I can't, full, I can't see any other way but to fully expect that laying down this vehicle is going to be anything but great for me. And, you know, individuals think of mind control or, or whatever. And I was in the class for five or six years, and then through my own ignorance and uh, being attacked by influences, felt like, you know, well, maybe I wasn't developed enough. Maybe I wasn't a strong enough student to continue. Well, being out of the world proved to me, being out of the class, excuse me, proved to me, that this was the only thing for me.
0: So imagine that too. A person who's in a cult who's about to need to commit suicide is saying they're not attacked by influences. I mean, again, from the outside, you see the sad irony. And someone said, This container was a part of the establishment, and now. This is the end of its circulation. And we've been talking about this for 6,000 years. So who's we? And why 6,000 years? And I actually think the relevance of the 6,000 years is that if you think this is a brand new idea, you might not give it a lot of credence. But if you think you're now connecting to a tradition, to an idea that's been around for 6,000 years, then you're part of something important that's been long-lasting, and you're realizing the hopes and dreams that people have had for 6,000 years. It gives it so much weight and so much credibility and so much importance. But again, not provable, but still, for them, believable. As I finish up, I just want to say that this is not at all to make fun of the people who did this. This is not at all to make light of it. This is to help understand what language does. And this is to help understand how when you're in something like this, you can very often think or be taught that you are the only ones who are not under the influence. And it is, of course, quite the opposite. You think that you're the ones, the only ones who are free. And again, it's quite the opposite. You think you are ultimately being an individual, but when you look at all of them dressed the same, with the same haircut, being androgynous, they're all the same. But to finish up, going back to Margaret Singer's statement about learning to deny the evidence of your senses, there's this other piece that I noticed while watching them. While they were talking about how this world was a polluted place and was hideous that's the word they used hideous and corrupt and a place that held nothing for them where there was no joy where there was no beauty while they're saying this they're sitting on chairs having themselves videotaped and behind them is a beautiful scene there are trees and flowers, and green grass, the sun is shining, and birds are chirping. I know I make this sound like a Disney movie, but it really was. Birds were chirping. It was a beautiful day. And I wanted to say to them, turn around. Look at the world you're in. Yes, you felt different. And yes, you haven't felt a part of things but look what you have here. You have found people to connect with. You shouldn't have to end things in order to stay connected to them. You can actually have a life here with friends, with people you now see as your new family. That's all possible on earth. It's been proven. There you are having it. And this hideous place? Just turn around. It is beautiful. Feel the sun shining on your face. Appreciate what you have. But unfortunately, the blinders were put on. So the only thing that looked beautiful was something they thought existed in a place other than Earth. I'll talk to you next week.